0: Good morning, y'all. Turn to your Bibles, please. To um, what book are we in again? <laughs> okay, you found it. That's, thank you. Luke is right. We're going to do Matthew nine thirty-five. Wait for it through the whole chapter ten today, which is why there is lunch in the back. Just kidding. Just kidding. Matthew chapter nine, verse thirty-five. We're going to be in verses nine thirty-five to ten forty-two. All the way today, making some making some big leaps. Um, this has been fall break week for us, and so that means the kids have been home more, which means I have not been home as much, so I could actually get some work done. And uh, so where I usually go is to Panera, uh, which is like the 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 future of McDonald's. You know, like it's 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 where we used to do McDonald's. Now we do at Panera, and um, so I sit in there and, and work, and it's um, and like every other uh, fast, fresh, um, cafe kind of place in all of our worlds right now, they are hiring desperately still. There's been a sign out front that's, that says, um, interviews today, on-the-spot job offers. Like, are you like it's, They are just really hard up for work. But actually, that's not what they're saying. Like, I mean, the sign says, on-the-spot interviews and offers, you know, please just ask. But what the the real pull, the marketing work that the HR department is doing at the Panera in Cool Springs is they are talking about Panera's mission as a mission, about how to make a croissant or a cinnamon roll or soup or whatever else you might get. Not a bit, but there's all kinds of information about what the company is passionate about, what they do with their profits, what their core values are, what their mission is at. Era. There is an appeal to the mission, not the work, okay? So with that in mind, as we continue to the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to talk about the mission today. So in 1 through 4 of Matthew, we've learned who Jesus is. And in 5 through 7, we've listened to Jesus teach. And in 8 through 9, we've watched Jesus minister. And now, at the very end of 9 and through the chapter 10, um, we're going to get, among many other things, a high-level understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You remember earlier in chapter 8, you had two people approach Jesus, one who had not considered the cost um, but wanted to follow and 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 then another gentleman with, with a little bit of a different a different twist. And in both those cases, Jesus was kind of making sure you need to know what you're signing up for, and you need to pay the cost of what you're signing up for. Well, now we're coming to this place where Jesus and the, his his immediate disciples, his twelve disciples, are going to get to do what they signed up for. And it illustrates for us, it defines for us what it just means to be a Christian. Like, what does it look like on a daily basis to be a Christian? So that's. That's what we're going to look at today in Matthew 9, 35 through 10. Now, so I have a, this is a Baptist church, right? So I have a three-point outline for you today. And here's the first one. Disciple synonyms. To be a disciple of Jesus, to be on mission for Jesus. You've already seen this about Jesus himself in chapters 8 and 9, but the emphasis there has been about Jesus' ministry. There's been little or no mention at all about what the disciples are doing, except like, you know, acting like interns trying to keep people off of Jesus as he fights the fights through a crowd, right? But there's a shift now. The disciples aren't just, you know, bodyguards. <laughs> They're actually getting ready to go on mission. Look at verses thirty five and thirty eight at the end of chapter nine. Jesus continued going around all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. He was doing mission. And when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus is doing mission, and he has a mindset of mission. He has a posture of mission. And then in verse 37, he said to his disciples, these are his twelve, Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So now Jesus is equipping for mission. So he's been doing it. He's had the mindset, and now he is multiplying the amount of people who are going to go about and do discipleship, who are going to go about and do kingdom mission. Okay. To be discipled by Jesus is to be on mission with Jesus. To be discipled by Jesus is to be on mission with Jesus. So that's what discipleship is. It's to be on the mission. Discipleship is not Sunday school class. As wonderful as it is. It's not a community group as wonderful as it is. As wonderful as the things that happen in those classes that shape us to be more like Jesus, those classes are a method. They are a tool. They are a small part of being On the mission of discipleship. They are not discipleship in and of themselves. They're just tools. They are methods for making us all on mission to be disciples. Okay? Discipleship is not education. I say that as somebody with a doctorate in education. The goal of discipleship is not Bible expertise, as wonderful as that is. Discipleship is missional, not educational. Knowing our Bibles, being wise with the Scriptures is a part, it is a method, it's a tool that is essential for being on mission as a disciple. But the Bible expertise that we gain is not the discipleship, okay? Discipleship is not fellowship, okay? Although discipleship is fun, it must be enjoyable, it is challenging, we'll come to that in a little bit, fellowship is not the goal of discipleship, part of it, but it's not the goal. The ultimate goal Is to help people grow and go on mission in the community that we build, and we have friendships. Those things are just a tool; they are a method that help us go on mission. Discipleship is mission. Okay. So education and community groups and Sunday school and fellowship and uh, and evidently we have a very competitive church that likes to compete on Friday and Saturday. Okay, that's great. That's great. Okay, those are all facets of the diamond. And the diamond is discipleship as mission. To be a disciple is to be on mission. It is to be on mission with Jesus for the purpose of making other disciples of Jesus. Inasmuch as you come to be saved by Jesus, you come to be sent by Jesus. Okay. Nobody comes to him as a consumer. They come to him as one who will join him on mission. I learned a new word this week preparing for this message. Okay, it's a new word, but not a new idea. I knew the idea, and that's, when I started looking up the idea. I found this new word. The word is pleonasm. Does anybody know what a pleonasm is? Come on, Nacelle knows. I knew it. <laughs> what is a pleonasm? Oh, no. uh, here, would you like a microphone? <laughs> it's a a yes, it's it's in a, it is a redundant expression. It's a redundancy, okay? So if you say something like, I had an actual experience, right? Or I did some advanced planning. Let's all meet together, right? I wrote an autobiography of my life. <laughs> this message is pre-recorded, right? So you see, you see we have, we're, our lives are full of them. And one of the most frustrating things in the world to do as an editor is to remove all the pleonasms from somebody's work, which there's been a time in my life where that was my job. Okay. One of the things that I would used to do at Lifeway is I would work with these churches. I'd form all these relationships with pastors and ex- executive pastors and teaching pastors and, and discipleship pastors. And they would say, you know, we're not about making disciples at our church. We're about making disciples who make disciples. And then we go, that's really great, that's really great. And then we get back together as an editorial team and we go, how do we tell this guy that that's redundant? (laughs) Disciples, by definition, make disciples because discipleship is mission. Discipleship is mission. And discipleship is transformational. That's the second thing I want you to see. Discipleship is transformational for you. Jesus transforms us as he sends us. The transformation that we all undergo as followers of Jesus takes place as we participate in the mission. Now, in the text, the most direct way to see this is through the lives of the people who are listed in verses uh, 1 through 4 of chapter 10. These are the 12... Disciples, because if you were to kind of go through all of the New Testament, all of the, the Gospels, and do a study, and then the book of Acts, and then later in some of the epistles, and do a study about these folks individually, it's a really fascinating thing to understand where these guys came from and where they ended up as a result of the transformation. And if you read the Gospels and the book of Acts and their letters, the transformation happened as they were on mission. Okay? So you take Thomas, who was a very scap- skeptical and rationalistic person. He had one of the most profound theological understandings of Jesus' identity as a God man later on. And it happened because he saw Jesus on mission. And he was with him. Matthew, the one who wrote this gospel, a tax collector, a traitor to his own people in order to support himself and his family, became a missionary to the Jews that he had betrayed. By writing the most Jewish-centric gospel to help them understand that Jesus was the Messiah. It's a transformation. Simon the Zealot, before becoming a follower of Jesus, was a guerrilla fighter. He wanted to bring God's kingdom to bear in Israel through force, through political might, until he started following Jesus. And then he saw that the kingdom comes about an entirely different way. Their sacrifice and service. This Isn't amazing the kinds of people that Jesus calls to be His disciple and that He immediately equips them to send them out on mission, even though they're coming from very different places and, and are a long way off from understanding the gospel entirely. None of His disciples, save Judas, of course, look the same after living for a couple of years on mission with Jesus. And the transformation that happened in their lives took place through their obedience to the mission. Every disciple was at a different place at a different time doing different things. They had different personalities, different gifts. And Jesus began and executed a transformation in them by putting them to work instantly here in this passage on the mission. They don't understand it all. We're going to get to the end. Peter's going to chop off some dude's ear because he's still got a political kingdom mindset. But he's been doing ministry for two years under Jesus. The transformation was just happening, okay? As they went about doing the mission. You might say that Jesus was a cognitive behavioral discipler. He was teaching them and putting them to work before they understood everything that they were even doing. And he's shaping them and forming them to be more like himself. When I was in grad school, I I tried all kinds of jobs. It's like, my dad, my dad was so proud. He, like, he was so proud. He was like, man, you know, way to go with your 2.8 out of Furman. Good job, Rob. And that was my graduating GPA. And somehow I got into grad school. And, um, and, and he's like, I'm really proud of you. How are you going to pay for it? Like, he was cutting me off. Boom, 21. Which Trey and Jonathan know. Boom, 21. That's what's going to happen, right? And, uh, and I was like, man, I, I don't know. Um, but but Regents Bank knew how I could pay for it. And and so did and so did some scholarships from Beeson which was nice because I certainly didn't earn them with a 2.8. It was all pity, every bit of it. And I was like, I guess I got to get a job, you know, like I got to get a job. So I started, you know, I was working at a tennis country club and they were paying me 5.35 an hour to sit there and turn off the coffee from 5 to 9, you know, cuz nobody actually came to play tennis, but but they had to have They had to put on the show that their country club was important and people might want to come out and play. So I sat there and got I got paid to study for five thirty five an hour. But you know what you can't do with five thirty five an hour is anything, and um, (laughs) I couldn't drive enough gas to so That did not. So I started waiting. I started waiting tables, and um, I was terrified about the whole experience. But I also wanted to eat, and um, so you know again I got I got cut off. So, I, when, you, when you wait tables at Landry's Seafood Restaurant 20 years ago, um, you, uh, you have to spend two weeks of training. And by showing up at shifts, you get paid minimum wage and no, no tips, and you just follow a waiter or a waitress around with you. And then, if it got really crazy, sometimes you would like, be dedicated to a table, but you would use your trainer's login information and you wouldn't get to do anything. It was, you know, well, one night, it was so insanely busy on Friday night. That I got given my own t- my one table now by the time I finished that year, I would always have three or four tables to myself, no matter what was going on, because I got trained as a baptism of fire in this in this moment. It was so crazy I had this one table of like eight people all by my myself and and they all like it was just nuts. I, i, I was just, abs- I cannot tell you how, how, busy this, this place was that night. It was so busy that in my, frat- I was being re- given cash tips by people. Like, I mean, they were, I don't know. Well, I, mean, I do know, but I, I'm not, I can't talk about it because of all the kids that are in the room. But there was a reason why they were so forgetful and not clear of mind that they were giving me cash tips. But I was so insanely busy and so legalistic in my mindset. I was taking the cash tips and handing them to the person that had been training me, giving him the money that I had earned, okay? Because there was just so much b- baptism of fire taking place um, that, that it was just nuts. Like, I just had lost, lost my mind. But let me tell you something. I became a pretty good waiter in, that, in because of that experience, right? Because even though I didn't know everything, I knew just enough to be dangerous or just enough to be helpful. And I had good boundaries around me and good training, like mostly... Most of the time, it was a baptism of fire. That's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. They don't have their act together. They are being transformed by their performance of the mission. Okay? So we're not in a position to where we can say, Jesus, I'm not ready yet. He will tell you when you are ready. And it's going to be really soon into the life of you following him because he will transform you through putting you on the mission that he is on. and that transformation is going to happen through suffering. That's the third point. Discipleship is a mission. Discipleship is going to change you and it's going to change you through suffering. Through suffering. You can see this in lots of places in chapter 10. You can see it in verses 5 through 15. This is where Jesus is giving a very specific and contextualized set of instructions to his current disciples then and there for an immediate mission right there in front of them. Remember, the field is wide unto harvest. Pray that the Lord has sent. Hey, you guys, come here. I'm getting ready to send you out because you are the workers of the harvest, and I'm getting ready to send you out into a field where there's going to be lots of ministry to reap, and so we're going to get it. It's going to be great. Okay? And in verse 14 right there, Jesus alludes that they're going to come across some people who don't want anything to do with them. They're not going to be too thrilled about the mission. And Jesus says, when that happens, just move on. Just move on. But then when you go to verses 16 through 25, there's a shift in the text. And Jesus is giving counsel not just for his immediate group of disciples, but for that immediate mission. But he's giving instruction to all of his disciples for a long-term mission. That's us. And it's there in verses 16 through 25 that you see all kinds of suffering and persecution for people who are Jesus' disciples. Look at verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts, flog you in their synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings before me to bear witness. And on and on and on. Verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death. A father is a child. Children will rise up against parents. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. You feel the suffering. You feel the persecution. That's how the transformation takes Place through suffering. When I moved to to, to Nashville ten, 10 years ago, I had a friend who had lived in Miami. I, I, I made a new friend at work who had who had just come to Lifeway from Miami. He was in his twenties, which is amazing that I could have a friend in his twenties, and uh, late twenties. Or and uh, he, um, because he lived in Miami, he was extremely image conscious. He'd been part of a large church uh, there, running a, on one campus among many, and it was a—it's a very image-conscious culture, and so he was—he um, was very, very vain, okay, about his body, okay, and about his skin tone, and about moisturizers and hairspray and all of these things. And in the six months that he left Miami and came to Nashville, he gained about 80 pounds. Okay? Because he had been really stressed and now he was sitting at a desk. And he had been really in an image conscious environment. And where I work is we're not image conscious. Okay? We're editors for crying out loud. Okay. (laughs) And his wife finally just said, dude, you're just gonna have to embrace your jolly self. Just like just move on with it. Okay? And so he he tried to exercise without changing his diet and more often than not he would just throw up at the end of his workouts if he made it to the end because it was just you can't you can't do do that and because he was just but he was driven by this image consciousness you know and finally a friend told him you you can't outrun poor nutrition which is true and and it completely changed his life so this is what he did <laughs> because he was image conscious not health conscious he ate the exact same thing for six months, Monday through Friday, and it was like a frozen Greek yogurt cup for breakfast, a piece of toast, a bowl of soup for lunch, and then a chicken, and a, and a chicken breast and, some, and a vegetable at dinner. It was like 1,200 calories, which is a terrible idea. Don't do it. But it did work, and he lost all that weight in about five months, okay? And on the weekends, he would eat whatever he wanted, and by whatever he wanted, I mean three boxes of cereal, Okay. Like, it just sounds terrible, but it worked for him, okay? Whatever, right? It's miserable, so I'm not advocating for that. I'm just illustrating for you that there's no transformation without suffering, okay? (laughs) Right? There There is no transformation without suffering. Now, let's make that a little bit more serious. We understand this more in our culture now than we used to. I did not grow up where being a Christian was a problem. Being a Christian was expected by Everybody in the community and the people who weren't were the problems. Now the Christians are becoming the problems. Right? Some of us, this may be difficult for you to understand, but it's coming. Okay? We're in a rapid culture shift. Okay? And I want to give you just one illustration that, that I came across. Holly shared this with me this week um, by a pastor named Heath Lambert. He's at First Baptist Jacksonville. So First Baptist Jacksonville has recently approved this statement on biblical sexuality. I'm going to read it to you. It's really short. As a member of this church, I believe that God creates people in his image, either male or female, that his creation is a fixed matter of human biology, not individual choice. I believe marriage is instituted by God, not government, is between one man and one woman, and is the only context for sexual desire and expression. Genesis 1, 2, Matthew 19, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, etc., etc., etc. That's an uncontroversial statement, right? For any Christian living at any place, at any point in the last 2,000 years. And it was an unconventional, uncontroversial statement for the vast majority of Americans up until the last 10 or 15 years, right? So here's what Lambert says. He says, now, many in our society view as controversial a statement that has been, they view that as controversial and it's been basic to Christian conviction and human society for the last, since the beginning. Okay. Now it's not just controversial. Now his point is it's hateful. Okay. Here we go. Here's what he says. I wanted, this is is what he experienced. This is what I want you to feel about persecution and suffering. He says, I wanted our congregation to understand the rationale for this statement, so I filmed a video explaining it. We started production several weeks ago and we rented a local venue in downtown Jacksonville to record it. And shortly after the video was released, our church received an email from the venue. They were polite in the email, but they made clear that the message of the video was completely at odds with their personal philosophy. And they felt so uncomfortable about our message that they refunded us the entire fee. Okay? When I learned about this, says the pastor, I felt badly. They were so upset about renting their facility to us. The venue made clear that they would never have done business with us if they had known what we were going to do. Likewise, we would never have rented the facility if we knew how upset they would have been. It was all very regrettable. But the same people who, made this, who said this also made a public post on Instagram that was much less polite than their private communication. And in their post, the venue proposed to guess why we would want to film our video in their location, and they proposed two options. Number one, quote, We can only guess two reasons why they chose us. They are flagrant morons who clearly did not do their homework on where they were choosing to promote their message of hate. Or B, they intentionally used us to attempt to pull legitimacy into their message, unquote. So you see what they've done. It's not just, oh, that's what the Christians believe, but we don't believe that. It's turning hateful. It's turning uh, controversial. Not just controversial. It's turning personal. It's turning hateful. It's coming. It's here. Okay? But here's the thing. It's right here, y'all. This is not new, right? We are not surprised, and so we are not terrified, and we are not worried. Jesus says in verse 24 and 25, chapter 10, A disciple is not above his teacher, a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they call the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. We're not surprised. We're following the very one that was killed by very devout religious people who used the Romans to do it. So we know that suffering and persecution are a part of the mission and they are the primary means by which we are transformed in this process. We're going to become like the one who was suffered for our sake. So when you experience it, like James says, count it joy. Count it joy because persecution validates our faith. Look at chapter 10, verse 38 and 39. Jesus says, Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. When we bear cross-like suffering and persecution, this should strengthen our resolve because it validates us disciples and confirms that we are being transformed into his likeness. Okay? It's like the, um, the apostles in Acts 5. They'd gotten arrested... And they were flogged. They were ordered not to speak. This is chapter 5, verse 40. Not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they released them. And then in verse 41, they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, the, the religious body that had arrested them. And they were doing what? Oh, I'm never doing that again. Learn my lesson. No. They rejoiced that they were accounted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Let me read that again. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully. Oh, that the Lord would make his church count that as progress. What if that were our mission? Hey, what if we talked about Jesus so much In a loving way, just like he did, serving this world, bringing the kingdom realities to bear. What if we did it so faithfully and so much like Jesus that we would be, that we would be, wow, wow. That we would be treated shamefully for it and that we could rejoice in that. In verse 42, guess what happened? Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Discipleship is mission. It's redundant to say that I'm a discipleship who goes on a mission every now and then. No, discipleship is mission. Discipleship is transformational, and the transformation happens through persecution. It happens through suffering. So as a result, it's it's a shift in mindset. The application of today's sermon is a shift in mindset for a Christian. It's it's no I I am Holly put it this way. Like every now and then I, I get in these environments where so here, here, here's, I'll just use an actual historical illustration. Then I need to go, because it's 1135. So a couple weeks ago, my uncle, uncle died. And I drove to, to, to Cleveland. I spent the night with my, my brother. I went to visitation. And, and I realized I had, like, no relationship with anybody there anymore. It's my hometown. But I haven't really invested, I haven't at all, right? So I knew my aunt, who is experiencing dementia, and it wasn't, I don't, I don't, I mean, she, she, you know, she recognized me, but she didn't know me, right, and, um, and then they're, they're my cousins, their kids were there who I have not seen in 20 years, so I, I realized, I had, and this the whole thing was a little bit awkward, you know, like, I'm just, like, I came to pay my respects to, to, to my Aunt, Aunt Gloria and to my cousins a little bit, which, which I did. But because there wasn't a relationship there, it was just kind of you just kind of awkward, you know. You know what I'm talking about? When you like you're you're paying the rent, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but it's but it feels like it's not coming from the heart because you don't have the relationship there that's 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 owned. So, so I was talking to Holly about this, and she said, "Look, honey, Holly really you know <laughs> the Holly spirit is real in our family." She said, <laughs> she said, "Look, you." are an ambassador for Jesus in that moment. That is who you are. That is your identity. You are going in there as on mission. It's not about how comfortable you are. It's not about whether or not you feel equipped to do it or have the relationship. You're going in there on mission, and sometimes that's awkward, and sometimes it's not, whatever it is. But you go in there with confidence and with and, and with, with a certain amount of um, I'm going to do this because you are a disciple of Jesus on mission. So I want to say to you, you are a disciple of of, of mission of, of Jesus on mission. This is what you're doing. This is what it means to go out of this room today into a, into a restaurant or to cook a meal or, or to go to school or whatever it is. That's who you are. It is your identity. You are on mission for him. And as you do that, I want to encourage you. To guard your heart at the same time, okay? Jesus says in Matthew 10 16, I'm sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. Be as wise as a serpent and harmless as doves. A couple years ago, we on a hike with uh, Trey and Jonathan, three years ago, out like in Fall Creek Falls area, and we had a copperhead walk right in front of us, okay? And he will win every time, right? And then we saw some of those beautiful, harmless, amazing things in nature. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out like a sheep who can't do much for anything but themselves at all. So as you go, be as wise as a serpent, be as harmless as a dove. Jesus is saying, I want you... I don't want you to... um, I don't, don't allow your heart to become so protective and distrustful of the wolves in this world that you harden against them. Those are the people you're meant to love and to minister to. Don't learn the craftiness of the snake so well that you get the heart of the snake, right? Guarding our hearts in this world is, is, the, is the balance of the mission disciple, of the disciple mission, right? Right? Carrying the message of the gospel to the kingdom, to a world that's dying without the gospel, okay? But at the same time, not guarding our hearts against the cynicism and the the doubt and the darkness that we're trying to speak against, okay? That's what this room is for. That's what the fellowships are for. That's what the classes are for. It's restoration, it's worship, it's celebration, it's guarding our hearts as we go out on mission together. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this uh, word from the Lord, your son. We are on mission as we follow you, and we ask that you would make us so. Help us to carry that posture with us consistently. And we, we Lord, we, we pray for somebody that is um, you know, considering the cost, if you will, curious about what it means to be and follow Jesus, be a follower of Jesus, what it means to do that. And what it means is that we... You call us, we follow you. It it means that that we don't have to have it all. There's not like a a prenuptial agreement laid out beforehand, and these are going to be the terms. No, it's like super clear. You are God, you are good, you are right, you are fair, you are just, you are merciful, you are compassionate. We do the following, and you make us more like you. And how you choose to do that is a we don't get to speak back into that (laughs) because you are everything that comes from you is good and is right and is true and we can trust you and the reason we can trust you is because of what you did on the cross and how you came out of the tomb and ascended to the right hand of father where you now reign until you come back again you can be trusted and so we can follow you into a life that is on mission help us Lord we ask it in Jesus name Amen (laughs)